Welcome to the Coach Steve Clark Show, where he will encourage, inspire, and equip coaches, players, and parents who will in turn motivate and help others to promote the great game of tennis, foster sportsmanship, and develop greater players and people. Thanks for joining us, and here's your host, Steve Clark. Hello, everyone. This is Steve Clark, and thanks so much for tuning into the show. Today, I have with me Trevor Cronaman going into his ninth or tenth year. Which which is it? Uh, tenth. tenth season. Can't believe we're already there. Ten years going in and uh, coming up tenth. in the fall. Yeah, tenth season of the head coach at UC Irvine, um, the home of the Anteaters. I think that's the only Anteaters in the world, so that's always been the uh, the rally cry for UC Irvine, the Anteaters. I had the privilege of coaching Trevor and see him grow as a player uh, in college on the tour and as a coach. Uh, Trevor, it's great to have you, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. I feel like I'm just at a cafe having coffee with you. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, and you know, and thanks again for everything you did for my game, and and much appreciated. And it's always exciting to uh, you know to have uh, to talk to people who have been a, a great part of your career and. And just wanted to thank you as we get started here. Well, Trevor, you didn't know I was going to say this, but uh, I've mentioned this on my first broadcast with Wayne Bryan, but one of the things that I try to inculcate into my players or even my kids or whatever is an attitude of thankfulness. And those of you listening just heard Trevor say that a couple of times. And that's one thing that he was uh, very good at, and he and he, he was sincere, is that he's a very thankful person. So at off off practices, or if, and if we went to an event or whatever it was, Trevor and uh, his teammates were will, uh, always ready to say thank you. So I I appreciate that, Trevor. No problem. Hey, uh, one of the things uh, I want to go over um, is Trevor's uh, background a little bit. And uh, for those of you listening and don't know why sometimes I might refer to him as Tank, uh, it's because it's his nickname. And uh, basically, uh, Tank has a huge heart, a huge game, and a huge frame. So that's kind of where that came from. But uh, he's known across the country, particularly in Athens, Georgia, at, uh, when we played the Nationals back there, and he played, was uh, known for the Tank. So uh, let me just go over a couple things, and you'll have to bear with me, folks, because it's a long list. Uh, he's quite an accomplished player and uh, in college uh, Trevor was uh, he graduated in 1990 from UC Irvine and again one of the very few players that you know had a degree and played on tour um, he's a four-time All-American and actually I've, a, I've got a question here because Trevor you were four-time in singles weren't you yes four-time in singles and, and one, I think one in doubles yeah, so that makes you a five-time All-American. They need to correct that on your bio. That's, uh, that makes you a, that makes you a five-time All-American. That's important. Yeah. So uh, he was the NCAA finalist with uh, his uh, teammate uh, Mike Briggs, who he also played on tour with for a while. He's a Big West Player of the Year in 1990. He was ranked as high as 14 in the singles in the NCAA and number one in doubles. And I've got a short story I might tell a little later about that uh, when you guys were at the All-American with Shige and you were the number one uh, doubles team in the country at the time. Um, he, he was the key to the Anteater success in the national championships uh, going there each each of the years he played and he was ranked as high as uh, with the team being uh, ranked as high as four in the nation. And as a senior, uh, Trevor was um, a national ITA Von Nostrum Award winner, which is basically saying, hey, watch out for this person on the tour because they're going to do something. And he was inducted into the uh, Anteater uh, Hall of Fame, UC Irvine Athletics Hall of Fame in 1999. And on the pros, uh, he spent eight years on the pros. Uh, he played on each of the Grand Slams. Trevor, which one was your favorite? Yeah, I mean, everybody asks that question all the time. I mean, obviously, Wimbledon is the pinnacle of our sport. I mean, you have to put that one. I mean, I put that one right up there. But for me, really, the, the most special Grand Slam was really playing at the French Open. I just loved the the atmosphere and, and the people and the, the stadium-like atmosphere on every single court. And for some reason, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to play on center court at Wimbledon, I think, three times, maybe four. And, and I don't know, for some reason, I always just have that little little edge to the French Open for myself though knowing that uh you know as kids and as players we all want to we all want to play in Wimbledon and be on center court at Wimbledon so it's kind of a close right. first second I have a feeling I have a feeling it's because of your massive serve uh, the clay didn't didn't uh, disseminate the 
uh, didn't uh, make it easier for your opponents, and yet your returns made mincemeat out of their serves. I have a feeling that's the case. Well, a, a little bit of that, and then and then my size moving around the grass court. I felt like I always played my matches late in the afternoon at Wimbledon, and for some reason I always ended up with more grass stains than wins. Just uh, <laughs> was one of those one of those things. I just the dew on the court. I couldn't stay up. I wasn't didn't have a low center of gravity. And and you're right. For me, the clay. Uh, with my strength and and my serve, the clay didn't really negate a lot of those things that most people think that think that it would negate. And I always seemed to have more success on the slower surfaces where I had one, you know another brief second to look at the ball. Yeah, nice. Well, he had six career ATP uh, titles, title wins, uh, and he was a finalist five times. Uh, and he was a player. He served on the ATP Tour Player Council as a vice president. He also coached uh, the Newport Beach Breakers. The Springfield Lasers, um, and uh, did you coach the Newport Beach Breakers this summer? I, I did not. This is uh, There was a 23, 24-year run for me in World Team Tennis. My wife is still involved on the graphic design side of World Team Tennis. Um, it's been kind of a quiet two summers for me. Uh, we moved The team moved from uh, Newport Beach to Austin, Texas. Uh, and I just did not go along with it. Uh, you know, it's time yep. that time in my life where I need to spend time with my three kids that are at home. And, um, you know, so we, we, we're still very uh, uh, attached to World Team Tennis. It, it, for me, it, it was the reason why I became a professional tennis player along with my collegiate career and, and your coaching and Greg Patton's coaching. Without question, uh, it has a, I think it has a place uh, in tennis, and it's, it's a great atmosphere to go and watch the game. That's great, uh, and uh, for those of you listening, Tank was uh, Rookie of the Year for the Charlotte Heat in 1990 and uh, MVP on two occasions, and uh, he was also elected to the World Team Tennis All-Star 30, which uh, the best men's and women's players in the 30 history of the WTT. Now, I got to play on uh, Sacramento Capitals many years ago, and you say this is a 23-year run. Uh, that makes me feel really old. I just, yeah, wow. Yeah, you know, That's it's funny. I used, to tell, <laughs> I used to tell people all the time, I, I didn't think I'd do anything for, for 23 to 25 years except breathe. It's, um, <laughs> it, you know, it, it really, it all happens so fast, and and that's what I try to instill in my guys it is you know like you said early in the earlier in the broadcast is thankfulness and realizing that 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 your great run as a player your run as a player eventually comes to an end and and the best thing you can do is is say thanks and and appreciate the game and and love the game and give back to the game and and then hopefully you know you inspire kids to move on and continue as an adult to play tennis so that's something that I've always tried to do well, that's the purpose of this show. Um, and in fact, part of my next question is: a lot of times on bios, they talk about uh, collegiate, professional, or post-collegiate careers uh, for coaches, but uh, they didn't mention anything about your junior experience. So, for the juniors out there and their parents listening, I, maybe you could share kind of what your junior experience was, and uh, kind of that. And I'll ask you some questions related to college as you moved on. But what was your junior uh, experience like? Yeah, you know, I, I take away from my junior experience obviously so much. Every little step as you move forward is so important. And with with my junior experience, I was lucky enough to grow up in the heyday of tennis, if you will, growing up around Agassi, Courier, Chang, Wheaton. I, I mean, we were right in the middle. I was right in the middle of all the, uh, you know, past great players. Um, and was just fortunate enough to, to grow up with those guys, to compete against those guys, uh, to have a passion every day, to be on the court and just getting better. Um, you know, I mean, obviously you, you meet your coaches, and, and my coach happened to be Mike DePalmer Sr., who lived in my hometown and was part owner of the Boletary Tennis Academy. I had Nick Boletary, uh, you know, helping me out. I was just fortunate enough to meet the right people along the way. And we all, you know, we all read uh, self-help books and we all read all these things. And, and you really got to listen to what the Nick Boletarius of the world uh, talk about and the Wayne Bryans of the world talk about. And it seems to be, the, the, you know, the same underlying theme every time. Work hard, play hard, and opportunities will come along. I mean, there's really no, you know, there's no set formula out there that's just going to all of a sudden you're going to be uh, a, a great player. I mean, I didn't know I was going to even be a professional tennis player until three months after I left college. So, I, you know, I'd say hang in there, work hard, and do your best every day, and, and good things will come. Opportunities will come to you. That's uh, that's good advice. And, and one of the things that uh, – 
you know, I want to express is that I, I just have a kind of an acronym I use, FOCUS, Fundamentals, Opportunity, Conditioning, uni, Unity, and Success. But what you're talking about here is if you if you have the fundamentals and if you have the opportunities and you work work hard, and obviously Wayne talks about if you have fun hard and you and you have passion mm-hmm. for it, yeah, when those opportunities come, things happen. But if yeah. you don't give if you don't give it your all and if you're not passionate about it and enjoying it, those opportunities when they come, sometimes they just slip away. So it's uh, you you got to be able to go for it. And two things to to that point, I have I have I use one of my four pillars of my. Uh, philosophy is the same word focus and that's something that my mom would yell from the stands and it always seemed to to bring me right back to 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 this and and it's if uh, the word focus an acronym for me it was focus on commitment it will unleash success and so it's kind of the kind of the same thing you know you, you have to be focused yes you have to have fun you want to have fun and that's the number one thing that I drive towards parents when I'm coaching little juniors and kids up until the age of 14. I'm saying, I want your child to tug on your shirt sleeve and bring you back to my tennis academy or to, my, to, to have them, me coach them. And if that's happening, then, then I've been a success. I, you know, I'm not going to make your, your, your child into a great player overnight. What has to happen is they have to have fun, they have to be around their friends, and they need to be competing with their friends on a daily basis. And, and just let, let, the, let the process unfold. Everybody's in a hurry all of a sudden. To, you know, they're thinking, oh, my kid's going to be the next pro, my kid's going to be the next pro. And for the list of the great players that I played with, I can give you another list of Probably well, way bigger than than the uh, than that of people who were as talented as I was, who were physically better than I was, who were mentally better than I was, and, and never never made a made a run at a career playing professional tennis. Yet that was their goal. But it's such a small window, and the window of opportunity, like you just said, is so small. And so when you when you reach those opportunities, you're going to know the opportunity is in front of you, and you have to be able to slip through the door that's so tiny and so minute. Trevor, what other sports did you play before tennis? Yeah, I played. You know, I played. I played soccer all the way through. I think it was my sophomore year in high school. Um, I played a little bit of flag football. Uh, you know, I'm pretty much an outdoors person. I played a lot of sports on the side. You know, I'd play basketball with my buddies. You know, a couple nights a week, we'd play flag football in the sand lot. I mean, I really, really played just about everything. I gave it a try, and I just kept going back to tennis. You know, ice hockey practice to tennis, soccer practice back to tennis, and I just kept getting lured back to the tennis game. And, and I think that's a that's a testament to the to the great people I had around me, in, including my parents. Uh, my junior year in high school, I wanted to play uh, tackle football for my high school state championship football team. The uh, head coach lived right next door to me, and in between us was a sand lot, uh, lot where we played football for all my friends. And he says, you know, Trevor, I need you to, to run 10 yards up and then cut across the middle and catch the ball, just like a tight end. <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, it, yeah, and my mom, my mom said to him, well, you know, we think he's got a full scholarship in tennis lined up. Are you going to pay for his schooling after he's done and, and has two broken legs and, and a broken, uh, you know, broken collarbone and arm and whatever? And I said to him, well, you know, great coach, but I have zero pain tolerance, and I don't think I could do that every single day. So <laughs> best of luck to you. But, you know, it, it just uh, tennis is just my passion, and, and I found that out early in my life. I'm finding that out every day of my life. Um, it's just what I love to do, and it's it's who I am. And I don't I don't have a problem with being associated with, you know, Trevor the tennis guy or Tank the tennis player. I mean, that's that's me. That's who I am. That's great. Uh, so along those lines, from a collegiate perspective, what things uh, would stick out that shaped you or you really hold dear from college? Yeah, you know, geez, obviously the, the coaching staffs and, and you included, I think we were together two years, I think it was, before uh, you moved on. And, uh, you know, look, I, I, all the experiences that I had in college, I tell you, it was the best four years of my life. It was without question the number one reason why I became a professional tennis player because I was fortunate enough to play over 
I think the the record is, and I don't even really know this because I don't really go back and look. I always look forward. I don't really turn around and look back. I think I played almost 500 collegiate tennis matches, man on man, me against somebody from another school, um, coaching staffs, you know, um, the training room keeping me in shape, people, the right people pushing me forward. Um, you know, obviously winning does does a lot, but that that I look back and I and I tell the kids, my guys on my team now, I tell them all the time, I I can only tell you two or three instances from my collegiate career that I remember beating somebody. People are always coming up to me all over the world or out at a tournament somewhere. They're saying, hey, hey, Trevor Cronin, geez, it's been a long time since we've talked. I beat you back in 1985. I mean, I don't remember any of those things. So it, it, it's it's just for me. It's you know, play the match, look forward. Um, but but you know, Coach Patton, yourself, Bill Reynolds, Bobby Perez. I mean, all these people played such a such a big part in in who I became and in who I am. And uh, you know, every single day for me, even though some of them were extremely difficult in college. Uh, fighting with the things that I had to fight with, my father going through a, a heart attack while I'm on, in California and he's in Florida, um, you know, being pushed every single day by the coaching staff. Uh, you know, things aren't, aren't easy all the time, but, it, you know, those are where you learn your lessons. And I, and I remember one that, that Greg Patton uh, talked about, and that's on your worst days, that's when you become a player. And that's how I feel. The, the days that I was feeling down and and working hard and not really feel like I was getting anywhere or sick. Those were the days where I, where I actually felt like I became a player. Those were the days you have to push through and continue to to uh, soldier on, if you will. That's that's good. I got a. I just want a couple stories here because uh, I think they're right along these lines. I remember I was with you and Shige back at the All American. You guys were seated one. And I remember you were playing a match. Now, you know, sometimes the memory gets foggy, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on this. You were playing, I think it was a second-round match, and you pulled a hip flexor, and uh, it was pretty bad, and you couldn't move. And I said, well, Trevor, and you were, and you came over to me on the sidelines. You said, Coach, man, I can't move. You know, when you talk about your pain tolerance, I'm sure that sucker hurt, you know. So I said, Trevor, I got you got two options. You shake hands and say, I'm done, or you just let her rip. You blast some serves, blast some returns, and then uh, – you know, give it your best shot and don't run. Mm-hmm. And you beat the guy. You beat the guy mm-hmm. hitting big shots. I don't. <laughs> I wonder if that guy's still shaking his head. I don't remember that. Who? who yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could remember who we were playing. But yeah, I, you know, I had an issue with the hip flexor a couple times throughout my career. I pushed extremely hard, and, and, and you know, and I think that's I kind of got my hard headedness from from my mom and. And just, you know, I'm not, and that's where the, there's kind of a difference in today's player, and, 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 and I know people hate hearing that, today's players and past players, but to me there's an extreme, there's an extreme difference, and that, that's, therein lies the difference to me. I can remember Luke Jensen coming off the court all bloodied up, elbows, wrists, um, guys hurting their ankles. I mean, I would never go to my coach and say, hey, coach, pull me out, it's too windy, coach pull me out. I'm just not feeling right today. Hey, coach, you know, the only way that coach Patton or you were going to even get a chance to pull me off the court was if my leg was dangling at a 90 degree angle to my knee. That's the only way you were bringing me off the court. <laughs> and that, 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 you know, it's, it's just the grit. And that's, that, you know, like I said, I, I learned that from my mom. We've got to work hard. Uh, you know, you got to respect the people around you and you really got to, you got to be gritty. And I think that's one thing that we're missing. It's, um, I go to you know a lot of junior tennis events and and I, I just don't see the most of the kids playing for the right reason. And for me, it was it, it was it was just, it was me. I wanted to I wanted to excel. I wanted to be good. Um, and, and sometimes you know it's no fun doing that. I missed prom. I missed certain things on the weekends that I couldn't attend. I missed opportunities to do, um, uh, you know, to go out and do um, things in the community because I was out playing tennis. But that's that was what I loved to do. So I don't feel empty. I don't feel like I've missed anything. That I missed my own graduation in college to go to a to go to an event, uh, a pro event. And I left. I took my tests on Wednesday. Graduation wasn't until Friday. I left and, and said, you know, look, great. I can walk down the aisle. I think it's a great accomplishment, and I love the fact that I did it. But for me, I wanted to be a professional tennis player, and if I let that opportunity go, it may have been the day that, that um, 
you know, somebody said, you know, look, he's not going to be a tennis player because he skipped that event. And that's just something that I felt like I needed to do. So for me, it's just, it's just that grit. You know, get in there, want to fight. You're going to, you know, you, you got to learn to lose before you can learn to win. And, and I say that confidently because I did a lot more losing than I did winning. And um, that's it's not always about uh, winning. So, yeah, sometimes, uh, yeah, that's hard to express uh, to people. Uh, like you said, they're in a hurry to do X, Y, Z. But uh, along those lines, then, and this is, I'm going to jump ahead and then come back to some other questions because this is uh, one of my questions for you is what's missing? You mentioned the idea of grit and this whole idea of just uh, wanting it badly. Is what's missing in junior tennis today? And anything need fixing in U.S. tennis? What do you think? Wow, I mean, I know this is a this is just a, this is a question that's been going around for you know two or three years now. I think that they've put the right person in place, and Martin Blackman, uh, obviously Katrina Adams being the president of the USTA. You know what what's missing? I think I think the thing that's missing is is not only not only the juniors impatient but the public's impatience uh of wanting the next champion look we we came through such a lucky time in in tennis in in the history of tennis uh, from Connors to McEnroe, then to Agassi and Courier and Chang and Wheaton we've come through the greatest era of and that doesn't even mention the, the people outside of the United States, the Borgs and, and all those guys, you know, the Volanders, the Edbergs. I'm just talking about U.S. tennis. And we've just come through the greatest spot in history of, of tennis, and it's only been 25, 30 years. Look at Australia. They've been down for a long time now, and they've got two or three guys that are coming up. We actually have some good guys coming up from behind that can make it happen. I don't think there's anything wrong. I just think we're in too big of a hurry. To, to try to to try to make it happen, and, and it's not going to be a, a one thing, a one time fix all thing. Um, I just, you know, I would say the number one thing that I see that that we miss is the is the lack of competition, avoiding tournaments, avoiding players that that you know you don't want to compete. Guys and juniors now, in my opinion, would rather have a coach who hand feeds them balls and, and just keeps patting them on the back than actually have somebody that, that teaching them that it's going to take a work ethic and it's going to take hard work to get it done uh, and it's going to take more than an hour, hour and a half of your day to, to do it. Tennis is not a – I find today that the, the, the uh, guys and gals don't play enough, and that sounds crazy. But you you find somebody in the I mean let's just take Djokovic and, and Nadal for instance sure they only play 15 to 18 tournaments but they're getting seven or eight matches a week in that tournament so I, I think if you pull up everybody's uh, tournaments that they've played and the average matches they've played and the guys who are in the top ten and I haven't done this but I would challenge anybody to do it they're playing five six matches a week when they're playing and, and when you're playing 18 tournaments that equates to what 90 matches a year. Uh, you know, guys laugh at me all the time when I say I played almost 500 collegiate tennis matches in my career, which was 120 collegiate weeks. That's almost, you know, that's almost five matches a week, along with practicing. So I would think yeah, that's, that's really yeah. the, the the they need to play more when they actually think they're playing the best. Uh, you know, and I when when we're recruiting our athletes, we say we, you know we run a five and a half minute mile when we get to school, and you know you're not going to be removed from the team for not running a five and a half minute mile, but it just shows that you're you're you you're a Division One athlete. You can reach that goal uh, of uh, a standard, uh, and, and you know we can make you a player from there. But if you're running a nine minute mile when you arrive at school in the fall, we're, we're basically spinning our wheels the, the first year just getting the base up to where where you need it. So so for me, and crazy or not, because everybody's looking for time off, uh, you know, uh, I, I think they need to play more. Um, and if that means you go through a whole month and you've lost first round in, in four straight tournaments, you need to find another tournament to enter and, and be in right away. You don't need a week, you know, a month off to work with your coach or three weeks off. You only learn, you learn by doing, that's number one, which means you learn by playing tournaments. You don't learn a whole bunch from getting, you know, 5,000 balls fed from a bucket. Sure, you need to do that 25% of the time, but we, we become great practitioners of whatever we're doing, brain surgery, accounting, uh, pastor, uh, you, you know, doctor, whatever it is, by doing. You have to learn. You don't just become these things overnight. 
So for me, that that's really the, the main thing that I don't see enough of is play, play more. I mean, I look at kids that play 30 matches a year, and they're going, you know, geez, coach, I'm a Division One athlete, and I'm in really good shape. I'm like, okay, come to my campus for, for one, you know, for one week, and we'll show you why you're not in great shape, and you're not where you think you need to be. So yeah, that's kind of my uh, thing. Yeah, no, I, I – uh... That's, that's a common theme in terms of getting out there and competing. So, mm-hmm. um, uh, regarding a student athlete, so kind of back on mm-hmm. the theme of college tennis, uh, mm-hmm. I think you'd agree with me that being a student athlete is very demanding and shaping, um, particularly at institutions like UC Irvine. Can you share with us uh, about your philosophy of coaching collegiately with a student athlete in mind? Sure. No, you know, look, we don't even need to go any farther than talking student-athlete. The number one goal for, for coming to UC Irvine is you're a student. You're, we're, we're here to graduate you, to get you a diploma, to, to move forward in your life. And if you're lucky enough to play professional tennis afterwards, well, then then we, we coaching staff, you the player, and us, the institution academically, we've all done our jobs. Uh, of, of arriving you at that chance to have the possibility of uh, playing professional tennis with a degree in hand. Uh, and I, I take that very seriously, and I don't think, uh, you know, there's some coaches that do and, and, and some, some that don't. But for me, when I first arrived as a college coach, it was about find me the best tennis player. Find me the best tennis player, and, and really that's it. You know, the rest of it will take care of itself. I feel like I can get somebody through school with tutoring, and all the academic services we have on campus. And that was the beginning of my career. Now I'll tell you what I think is maybe close to being halfway through my coaching career. Now it's about find me a great kid with a great attitude, with great academics, and happens to be a good tennis player. That, that's the difference of where I am, I think, in, in my coaching career, co- coaching path. I not only want good tennis players, but I want people that are around me that are going to motivate me every day. It's tough, as you know, being a collegiate tennis coach and having been a collegiate tennis coach. We're the inspiration every day. But what about inspiring me a little bit by practicing more than once a day? Hey, coach, I'm, I've entered this tournament on my own. Hey, coach, I, you know, I'm doing extra on top of what we're doing to make myself a better player. can't always come from me, and, and that's where I've tried to – that's why I've been lucky enough to surround myself with, with making the right decisions so far is I, I have a, a group of people I go to and, and ask questions. Am I doing the right thing? And I'm not afraid to ask for advice or afraid to learn something. I mean, I – I feel like the number one thing you can do as as a coach, the number one thing that happens as a coach, if you lose the ability to be educated and you you think that you know it all, I think you're you're in a little bit of trouble as far as uh, having longevity in in the coaching world. I learn every single day and and I'm excited about it and I'm not afraid to admit I've made mistakes, I'll make mistakes going forward. Uh you know, but the good news is most people leave my program happy having graduated uh and, and with with a degree in hand and that's really my number one job um let alone you know wanting to win and win conference championships i feel like i mean winning on the at any level at this level division one high division one level it's pro level you are fortunate enough if you win at one tournament two tournaments one conference championships two conference championships let alone an ncaa championship you got to be lucky and fortunate yeah uh, along those lines, um, for those uh, listening that um, know me or uh, know my players, one of the things I challenged them on uh, last year was, uh, you know, Trevor mentioned the idea of inspiring is, uh, yeah, the coaches a lot of times are, are the ones, but a lot of times leaders, um, you know, they they need they need inspiration or 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 gratitude, etc. But one of the things I asked my players was, is your normal inspiring mm-hmm. yeah, i mean if somebody comes out to practice and watches you so you, like for example your coach <laughs> if if somebody comes out to practice and watches you some stranger walks by and they're seeing you hit they're seeing you work out are they inspired or are they just kind of going oh okay that was kind of a bad effort or that, mm-hmm. that's okay i thought i thought college tennis was better than that i mean i don't i don't want anybody i'm associated with on a tennis court to be uninspiring so it's yeah you know, that's that, funny you know, we have such for the kids to ask themselves 
Yeah, maybe that's where that's maybe where you and I have spent so much time together. It's kind of the same philosophy once again as your back to your focus reference. For me, I, I tell all the juniors and all the guys on my team, I said if if we have the stands packed there and there's a thousand people watching you, uh, what what type of movie do you want to create? In other words, if you go to a movie and you watch a bad movie, what do you want to do? You want to get out of there. Enough. I've had enough of this movie. It's not any good. Let's you know, let's move on. Well, it's kind of the same thing. You have to capture people's imagination and keep them in the seat. They have the right to leave. So what what type of movie do you want to create for yourself and for our team and for you know UCI and you know and I think it was John Wooden who said don't play for the don't play for the letters on your back play for the letters on your front and that's where um, you know that's what I try to tell the guys in, in, inspire me as coach and, and it's exactly that be better than just the normal step out of your comfort zone where you've been for so long. And 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 create yourself into you know the thing that somebody wants to come and watch and be a part of. You you mentioned and this may be uh, we maybe touched on this a little bit, but you said uh, when you're talking about the juniors or state of tennis, uh, collegiately along um, along the lines of you know advice to juniors or parents that they're you know obviously overseeing their juniors development. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would you say to them, up-and-coming players that haven't played to college or thinking of going to college? What would you say to them that they need to focus on, or any advice? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, the first thing I'd probably say is, is it's a process. You know, going to college uh, just becomes another stepping stone in the process. Pick the right school. Get to know the coach. Realize that there's there's no real bad questions. There's no uh, if a coach won't answer, answer a question uh, truthfully, then, then there's a red flag right away. Uh, you know, if there's just some question they can't answer or can't find the answer to, to me that that's a red flag. What I like to try to tell recruits and and juniors is, you know, everything's on the table here. There, there's nothing for me to hide. There's no reason for me to hide anything. Uh, I'm going to tell you, and I've lost good players and great recruits to this philosophy. We're going to work harder than any program in the country, whether we win a national championship or not. So if this is where you want to come, that's what you're getting yourself into. If you don't want to work hard and you'd rather go out, you know, two nights a week and, and do those things, then, then this is this is really going to be a long, tough road for you. Um, so really ask the questions, listen to the coaches, look at what you're getting yourself into. There are so many great schools out there uh, with great coaches, great facilities, Division One, Two, II, and Three, uh, and and probably some NA, you know, some uh, NAIA schools that that I don't know, where their facilities and their campus and their coaches and everything they have are unbelievable. Get yourself in the right place with the right coach, and you'll have the greatest experience of your life. Get yourself in the wrong place with the wrong coach, and you'll be absolutely miserable. So, you know, I think it's like any job interview. You, you know, you're interviewing the coach as much as the coach is interviewing you. And, and step up to the plate, juniors, and answer the questions. Don't have mom and dad answer the questions. You get involved and, and tell tell your story to the coach. You have to sell yourself. Don't come onto the campuses and be and be quiet and not engaged. That just shows that you're not that interested in what's happening. Regarding the process you mentioned, do you see collegiate tennis as a viable means to prepare for the tour um, for those players at that level wanting to make that transition? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, of late we've had a, a couple guys do it, Stevie Johnson being one from Southern California, you know, four-time All-American, four-time NCAA championship, four-time, you know, uh, you know, John Isner, you know, another guy out of Georgia. I mean, the path is there. I think that the path needs to be uh, solidified a little bit more. I, I don't think that we, like I said earlier, I don't think we play enough tennis. I think having a, you know, I have in, in, in my schedule, I have gaps of three weeks, almost four weeks where, where I don't play just due to the due to the uh, scheduling and the way that it's laid out. Guys can play tournaments during that time. Um, so I, I think there, there, there's a, you can do it. Yes, you, you can go through college tennis and, and have that path. But w- without the passion, the path is going to be closed. On uh, on a similar note, um, you know, in terms of the the you know, you have coaching, uh, the path, 
of you know you mentioned about solidifying the path more, playing more. The on-court coaching is huge in college tennis, and a lot of people listening, you know, if they they haven't played college tennis, and in the juniors, that's one of the big differences that there is no coaching. And uh, so in college coaching, that's just a huge developmental stage. What do you, what's your uh, philosophy of coaching or your experience of uh, on-court coaching with your players? You know, coaches do it differently. So what's your take on it, or how do you see yourself involved with your players? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you've got two or three types of coaches, you know, coaches that, uh, you know, coaches that are in your face, you know, this is what you need to do, this is how you need to do it, this is where you need to hit the ball. I, I like to think that, that for me, uh, in my style, is it, it's very kind of, you know, hands-off, if you will. We we arrive at, at the matches that we have with uh, scouting reports from the team we're going to play. Every single guy's received a scouting report on exactly what to look for uh, in tendencies throughout the entire team so that in case the coach switches one up or one down uh, in the lineup, the, the guy will be ready for the other guy as well. Uh, so I, I feel like we go in very, very prepared. All the hard work is done in practice. Uh, I, I've been fortunate enough to uh, really push the guys and have guys that are willing to be pushed so that I don't have to do much when it arrives on, on competition day except you know, make sure they're in the right, fi- uh, right frame of mind, make sure they're loose and ready to go, say a couple things at the beginning of the match, something after the doubles match, and then really it's just little adjustments in, in things that, that we see every day that we need to work on. You know, I might walk by a doubles court and go, okay, we need to close a little bit more there. You know, I'm not going to spend – they're already nervous and already doing the best that they can do. And for me to be on their court and really in their face and, and make – you know, in, in trying to make a difference, I think, can, can be overdone. Um, you know, I, I played for – you know, Coach Patton was kind of a, you know, a little bit more rambunctious, in-your-face type of guy. That worked for me. Um Yourself, I think you were a little bit more knowledge, you know, knowledge-based and, and a little bit more laid back than Coach Patton. That worked for me. So there's just certain time you need to know when to step on the accelerator and when to let off. And I feel most of the time, when I feel myself stepping on the accelerator, I have a pretty good idea to to let off. Um, I think you get three good cracks at the team, if you will, where you can get really uh, upset and mad at them, and it's probably warranted because uh, I feel like I'm a pretty patient person. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, you sometimes you arrive at that, at that boiling point of, look, guys, we've been talking about this three, four, five, six times. Why are we still doing it? And I, I feel like you get three good cracks in today's, uh, at today's athlete, and the fourth crack, the ears get turned, you know, the, the, the ears go over, go over the ear hole, and nobody's listening anyway. So... I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, uh, you know, crack the whip type of guy. I want the guys to figure it out on their own, uh, with with a little bit of guidance. And well, let me take that back. A lot of guidance at practice. And you know, once again, if if you work hard, your opportunities are gonna gonna come. And so we're gonna we're gonna get you the opportunities door. Uh, it's just whether we're gonna be good enough to push through or, or we're gonna be denied. So I'm more I'm more hands off, not. Not you know, not making them more nervous than they are. I always feel like I'm going to make a, a kid more nervous when I when I'm standing there on the court, and you know, and I have a pretty like you said, I have a pretty big presence. So you know, it's just <laughs> little little things here and there that that will uh, you know help them through a tough spot or might might fix what they're trying to do. Thanks. So uh, let's before a break, a real short break. I just want to uh, maybe touch on a pro tour item, uh, particularly because we've just talked about college tennis. Uh, can you paint a day uh, tank, a day-to-day practical picture of life on the tour, and how your transition, you know, was from college to pros, or maybe how you could uh, maybe give advice to players transitioning from college to pros? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's do that in only ten seconds. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I mean, every you know, it's really a, it's a forty-hour work week. You know, you you I wake you know when I was on the tour, it was seven o'clock. I'd get up, I'd ride the bike for about forty-five, fifty minutes. Then I'd go have some breakfast. You know, I would read the newspaper from cover to cover, USA Today or whatever. You know, so I could keep up with world events. Turn around after breakfast, maybe take forty-five minutes, get my stuff together. At the courts by nine, probably practice to eleven, eleven thirty. Uh, have some lunch, uh, and then was back for another hour hit, 
and then probably another you know hour or two hours of some type of conditioning. Now that conditioning might mean riding a bike, it might mean doing sprints uh, out at the field, it might mean playing ultimate frisbee with all the you know all the guys that are there playing soccer or doing something where you you know you got the heart rate elevated and and sweating and and then it was probably you know 40 45 minutes of stretching and and then you're off into to dinner and, and day in and day out. Look, I, I find that the days where I've set a goal and have a routine, those are the best days of, of my life when I've you know kind of written it down. These are the goals for the day. These are the things that I need to do, and I can have a checklist. And at the end of the day, I can go, okay, I've done everything I can do to get better, and then I move on to the next day. But that next day, some people get bored with, with monotony, but that's what – I mean, isn't that what sports really is? I mean, you're, you're trying to create game-type situations over and over and over and over again so that you're prepared when those situations arise. So most people look at it as, as monotonous to go and hit, um, you know, 45 minutes of forehands cross-court. But I can remember, you know, you and Patton saying, hey, hey Tank, go play the, the forehand drill where you can't hit any backhands cross-court. And we would literally do that for two hours. And I I practiced with the same, basically the same guy in my career who now coaches the Bryan Twins for 10 years, you know, 8 to 10 years, is him and I practicing and doing the same things every day. But we, we made it fun. We created games. We, we made it different. Uh, and I think, you, you know, you, you just have to put your hard hat on and go to work. If that's what you want to do, it's, it's not easy. It's not just all about tennis. It's about taking care of the body, getting the right rest. Uh, when you get your chances to enjoy yourself, you enjoy yourself so that you can recharge the batteries. Um, and, and I think it's it's just a full-time job that most people, you know, they see the, you know, most of the fans see the glorious side. But, uh, you know, I can tell you Roger Federer is working really hard when he's, uh, you know, not in the limelight. Well, thanks for that. Uh, just a real quick short break here. Um, just mainly to mention that if for those of you joining us or if you're just uh, maybe walking across, somebody's at a cafe listening to the podcast uh, after the live version, you're listening to uh, UR Tennis Network and the Coach Steve Clark uh, PhD show with Trevor Croneman, head tennis coach at UC Irvine. Um, I'd like to acknowledge uh, Events on Fire. They offer complete event planning services for entrepreneurs and small businesses. So go to eventsonfire.com. Wilson Racket Sports, and the Eagle Athletic Fund, EAF, for Eastern Washington University, the team behind the team. So you can go to goeags.com backslash, or forward slash, rather, EAF. Uh, Trev, you know, we've talked a little bit again about juniors, college, parents, you know, involvement with the kids. Um, uh, well, actually, I want to go into that. Um, but how has the game changed from your vantage point, um, maybe even just, Maybe not necessarily as a junior, but a college and professional player. How's the game changed? Oh, the game, the game has changed dramatically. I mean, the things that, you know, back when uh, when I played, I think you needed the old theory was you needed one weapon. If you had a serve or if you had a forehand, yet you, you had a career in front of you. Now I, I think it, it's just so uh, there's just so many things involved. You have to be the fittest player. We we now have you know just all types of sports wrapped up into tennis. As far as you know, you need to be a track star. You need to be the most cross fit. You need to you know hit the best ball. You, you know you need to really be a, an all around athlete out there. Um, you know guys uh, guys just keep raising and gals keep raising the bar. Every single week, week in and week out, how do I get better? How do I get better? Djokovic goes for a run for three months. Nadal goes, okay, I'm going to work on this, and I'm going to get better. He goes on a run for two months, and then Murray gets in the crowd. I'm going to do this. And, and they just keep raising raising the bar day in and, and day out. So I think the things that this changed, it's, it's a much more physical game. Uh, I think the number one the number one area that a lot of people miss out on, and I don't know if this is brought up much, but sports psychology to me is uh, is a huge area that I think a lot of people can improve. And it's not a bad thing to go talk to somebody about the things that bug you out on the court, the the things that can make you better, um, how to go about them. I, I mean, I, I just think it would be such a such a great thing. I, I often tell people there's there's uh, three people that I'd want to have in my in my back pocket and. And I group three of them 
uh, Greg Patton, Billy Jean King, and, and Wayne Bryan for the for the excitement and the passion that they provide to the game of tennis. I mean, I'd want that excitement every single day. Then I have a favorite trainer who I work happen to work with here in, in Lake Forest, named Todd Norman, for the fitness side of things. Who trains a lot of UFC fighters, and I think he did a wonderful job with Lindsey Davenport and Vince Spadia. I would put him in there for for the fitness, and 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 then for the you know for for the tennis. Um, you know, as any any number of great coaches that I've had, uh, Greg Patton, yourself, uh, Mike De Palmer Sr., uh, I mean Nick Bolitary, uh, I mean just for the the tennis side of things. But uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of uh, room for all people to uh, for everybody to to improve their game in. If you know you're a great athlete, you need sports psychology. You need to spend some time there. If you need time on your tennis, then you need to spend more time there. And so I think it's just an all-encompassing uh, process these days. So that, to me, is what's changed. That's great. Uh, what would you uh, advise parents uh, or parent coaches um, at all levels in order to, A, for, their, for their, their, their kid as they develop, and maybe even more specifically to get into UC Irvine? Um, so what, would you, what advice would you give them, given all the stuff we've talked about so far? You know, I mean, the, the best advice I, I, I can say is be patient, Realize it's a process. You're going to win matches. You're going to lose matches. I mean, that's just that's just the nature of the beast. There's only one winner every single week. 63 people go home defined as a loser. And I think that, you know, you, you learn to lose, and, and winning will come along with that. Uh, don't get too far far ahead of yourself in, in the process. Um, you know, pay attention to a lot of the great knowledge that's, that's out there. Get the, get the help from the right people and, and surround your kids um, with a knowledge base that's that's not only is it the best knowledge base, but it's also the most inspirational knowledge base that, that you can find. Uh, I mean, like I said, I think the number one thing for me is make sure that, uh, you know, your kid's pulling on your coattail to take them somewhere. Or if you, you happen to be the coach and they're trying to pull you out to get you out to hit more tennis, go with them. Keep them playing. Keep playing matches. Um, I, I think that's what that's tennis suffers a little bit because it's it's – man on man or it's one against the other and you do that three or four weekends in a row where you lose three or four weekends in a row first round you're going to get tired of doing that because you know you can go play soccer with your friends and your team might win you might have had a bad game but your team still wins you might have a great game your team wins and and i think you get a lot more camaraderie that way but uh you know tennis will teach you a ton a ton of things yeah, I think uh, Alan Fox does a great job uh, in his book, uh, Tennis, uh, Winning the Mental Match. He talks about the scoring system, how it's brutal compared to any other sport. And I've played most other sports, and I, I would agree with him. It's just a it's a tough it's a tough gig. I'm, I'm going to go over that a little bit with him on his uh, when I have him as a guest. But uh, what about one of the controversial issues? I mean, it doesn't have to be, but, uh, you know, what's for you, what's the role of doubles? I mean, obviously you made a living playing doubles. So in college tennis, what's the role of doubles for you? And what, what, do, you, what do you think? Where do you think it's going? Well, I, you know, I, I think I think college tennis is is we're going to be in the middle of a, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm not going to call it turmoil, but I think we've got a lot of things that that we can get better at. I think the time of a collegiate tennis match is of concern. Um, I think uh, you know you get into a four and a half, five hour battle. Uh, you know, they just don't. We just don't have sports that go that long anymore. Uh, you know, and, and I, I, I relate it this way: if I go to a bad movie and it's, you know, or it's a long movie and it's a great movie at two hours thirty minutes, I'm going, okay, when is this going to end? At three hours, even if it's a great movie, I'm going, when do I get to walk out? And at three o five, if it's still going, I've probably already walked out, even though it's an outstanding movie. So, um, you know, I, I think we need to we, we need to try to do a better job locally of getting fans involved. We need to play night matches um, for our fans that can actually come instead of playing on Tuesday and Thursday at one o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, why not Thursday night at you know five o'clock at the club? Uh, when people are there, you know, people are there playing, or five o'clock on campus, where we can play the national anthem, we can attract fans uh, and do those things. Um, you know, doubles. Jeez, uh, I mean, I, I'm going to admit it. Being a huge doubles specialist, I, I actually uh, think I, I've grown accustomed to this format that I've been using, and, and we've had really good luck with it, where we play singles first and doubles as a ten-point tiebreaker, where you throw all three teams out at once. And um, it's the most exciting five minutes of tennis you can possibly have. The problem is you don't reach it 
but about 10% of the time or even less than that. Um, you know, I think eventually it'll all settle out where you have some type of simultaneous format where you're uh, six singles, one doubles, or five singles, one doubles. I'm hoping that's not the case because uh, I felt like uh, I developed doubles. The Bryan twins, when they played at Stanford, if you played singles first, would have never played doubles ever. And now we're talking about the greatest team in, in you know in history uh, of possibly never playing. Well, there would be four years of development. I, I don't know where it's going to all shake out. I think that doubles has a, a place in college tennis, um, but I, I just don't know how you know how we're going to arrive to make everybody happy. But playing four and a half or five hours a, a, of a tennis match to me is uh, it's crazy. I'd rather see a two-hour time frame with more matches added to our 25 dates. But Right. Have, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean, we're, you know, I'm on the I'm on the board of directors and and working on all that stuff. I I just to be honest, I think there's just so many uh, so many purists and so many uh, people that don't want to see it change at all. And then you've got the other side that's saying, hey, you know, let's go, let's make changes. There'll be changes made. Um, I, you know, I don't know what they'll all look like come you know three to five years from now, but I think it's going to look drastically different. I just don't know where it's all gonna all gonna settle out. I would be shocked if doubles actually disappears from college tennis, in in my opinion. Um, but I think it, you know, you could see something like a ten point tiebreaker at the beginning of the match, uh, followed by doubles, or you could see, uh, you know, anything like what Djokovic and Nadal tried in Australia, where they're playing four game sets, um, first to you know in, in the singles. I mean, I think I think people are tired of. Uh, you know, seeing those four and a half hour matches, even at the, even at the pro level, you know, even watching a, in Paris, watching a three out of five set match for four or five hours. Um, I, I think everything's going to change. Um, uh, you know, I'd say college tennis changes dramatically. I think pro tennis is already changing with, you know, doing doubles, 10 point tiebreaker for the third set. Uh, all the other things they're talking about doing. I think the, the landscape changes. I, I just don't know how how big the shift will be. Uh, I don't think you'll get too far away from the normal, but I think you'll you'll see some shifts. That'll be great for the game. You know, we were all afraid of. I know all the volleyball coaches were afraid of speed scoring back when you used to have side out, and they were no, 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 no. We can't do this. We can't do this. And now it's becoming a viable product. Um, so I think it's just going to take time. It's going to take time for the dust to settle. Um, but I, I see things changing, but not not to to the side of crazy. Okay. With uh, respect to now, more on the practical side of junior tournaments. You know, we've talked about what juniors need to do, or maybe the the, the patience, et cetera. It's a process. But if as a coach or as, and as a player, put on both hats, maybe what would you like to see? done differently at the junior tournament level so like for their developmental aspect and then part another part of that question is as a coach somebody watching juniors so let's first do the developmental what would you like to see done differently developmentally in tournaments for yeah you know that, that's such a hard question for me to answer because the only you know the only time i'm around the 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 the, the junior tournaments is to is to recruit um uh, developmentally, you know, I mean, I, I, I like for example, I, more doubles somehow, you know, so you can see a, a whole different skill set. Yeah, I, I think we're on to, I think we're on to a little bit of something in college tennis with the with the campus showcases. Uh, you know, you'd like to, I'd like to see more of those one day events where you have, like, just like you said, you have, I don't know, maybe you call it a sixteen draw, and now with the universal tennis rating. You have a, a, uh, a matrices that you can use of just having certain groups, uh, you know, like the 12s all there, 16 t that are all ranked in what they call a 12. And you can play singles from the round of 16. What did that be? 16, 8, 4, 2. That'd be four rounds of singles over, you know, over two days, and then have that same group of kids play four rounds, or you'd play three rounds of doubles. And, and somehow do um, a lot more uh, maybe round robin. You know, it's difficult because there's so many kids playing in, like in, in our um, section in Southern California, the draws are huge. Um, I, you know, I think the the way to do it would be cut it down into some type of, you know, quali daily qualifyings to where the, the parents aren't stuck to having to be there three or four days. Their child comes in, they play with a, with a group that's going to be competitive. If they make it through that group, then they get into the, the higher group. 
and then it just kind of moves along. I think that's where we maybe that is where we, we we suffer a little bit is you go to some of these tournaments, and I might drive from Irvine to Thousand Oaks at 8 a.m. in the morning, and my child wins 6-0-6-0, and then I don't play again till five o'clock at night, or I don't play till the next day, and I drive all the way back to Irvine and go back up the next day. So I think somehow of finding a way to keep the matches at the level that they're playing competitive, but that takes out opportunities for for kids that um you know may not have the opportunity to to play uh just in their in their little you know in their little area so i you know i, I don't know what the right an- you know what the right answer is I, you know one, right. once again that's a that's the the burning question uh you know back to to old school days you found the players that i i kind of had the philosophy of when i was coming through the juniors i want to play against the best then I should play against some of the kids that that are in my you know in my group that I that I think I can beat or play with. And then sometimes you want to spend some time playing with the kids who are coming along. So I would think there's kind of the the, the three stages, and they're all three important. You don't want to lose so many matches that you get uh, disenthralled with the game. You don't want to win so much that you, you get lazy or you, you get um, complacent. Uh, and, and then you know the other the other side is you want to little, win a little bit working on your game. So I think that you know you got to find that that uh, the right path, and, and I think that can can be um, set across all kinds of different things. Like I have a guy on my team who thinks he's a, a 6.5, and he's lost four 6.5 matches uh, in a row in, T, in TRP. Uh, you know, drop down to a 5.5, five, play two or three of those tournament, win some matches. And then, you know, go back up, you know, or you're playing a level four and you can't get past the third round. Go back and play a level five or six. Win a couple matches, get to the semis, the finals. Remember what it feels like to win. Go play, a, you know, a level one. Um, and, and so I think it's just bouncing around and, and finding that right mix of today I practice with somebody who's way better than I am. Tomorrow I practice with somebody who's the same level. And then, you know, the next day I play somebody who's not quite as good. So, you know, I think you can put it all in uh, developmentally in the in the right spot to continue to to get better. Uh, we have uh, we only have a few more uh, minutes here before the live portion um, ends. Uh, we also have a, a few minutes after. So uh, after I play, for those of you listening, after I uh, the end of the uh, hour music comes on, we'll spend a little extra time talking with Coach here. But uh, yeah, you mentioned on this, um, and we just got a couple minutes. Maybe maybe one minute comment on uh, mm-hmm. the UTR Universal Tennis Rating. I'm going to be having uh, David Fish as my guest uh, in the near future, mm-hmm. and uh, you mentioned that um, maybe just a short blurb on on your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, you know for a college coach and for for costs and for the effectiveness of the players and understanding what it means to be competitive competitive instead of saying it's you know it's not a ranking it's a rating and that's what most people got to understand is um you know when we walk around southern cal you'll hear a kid say well i'm 230 in southern cal well what they can do now is they can say instead they can say well i'm a you know i don't know exactly what it what it works out to be but i'm in a 10 or an 11 on utr um and what it is what it's done is it's um it's really it's really leveled the playing field for a competitive uh, to make sure that matches are competitive and you're playing against the kids that um, that are of your level. So you don't go, like I said, you don't go from Irvine to Thousand Oaks and play a match and win in 25, 30 minutes and spend a bunch of money doing it. Or you don't fly, you know, you're measured against everybody playing competitive tennis that's out there. Every single match you play counts. Every single every single set you play counts, and I think every single game you play goes up on this up on this system that David Fish has created. And I, I'm finding that um, the system is almost. I did a. I had my own system that I was doing before his came out, and it was just a small thing that I did. And and he had my team pegged from top to bottom in order exactly as I saw them when we came out of the fall. And I think you're seeing more and more of that. Uh, it's becoming more and more refined. And, and for me, 
I think it's it's the way it's the wave of the future. Like I said, you're going to be able to have. Um, let's just start it. You know, you have a nine. Some you know, you have ten players playing right. in the nines that have to qualify to play up in the tens, then can move on to the elevens, and you can start right. a tournament on Wednesday, where if you lose, you lose. That happens anyway. But if you advance, right. you're playing better players all all the way, and you're proving yourself day in and day out. I, I think it's going about to be. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, Trev. We're about to head out, so I just want to at least let people know that they can stay on and listen, and we'll uh, finish up the conversation, but uh, the live portion is off, and uh, so we'll continue on. And uh, So, yeah, Trevor, go ahead and uh, continue that thought you had. Uh, you are talking yeah, so about you know, the... Yeah, I think what it does is it just keeps everybody uh, in in the uh, with the players that they need to play, and if they prove themselves at their level, they get to move on. Uh, I think that's pretty much the way that that uh, you know if you want a chance at the pro tour, that's basically what happens. That's what happens in in every single sport. You know, players keep moving up, and as uh, my child, who's a um, who's really into to games, and he's he's like, Dad, it's the next level. Look, I get to go to the next level. I get to go to the next level. He's uh, he's now becoming a competitive diver eight, nine years old, and he's like, Dad, I moved up to the next level. And I think that just keeps moving you along instead of having to say, ah, you know, I'm 250 in Southern California. And what does that equate into? Um, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I just right, think it's, right. it's, it's really been a system in my eyes that's been right on. It really judges the players fairly. Um, you know, it helps with recruiting because it can shorten the process. If If I have... Let's just say I'm allowed to have 10 guys on my team and all my guys are 12.56s or better. Well, then, you know, it's going to be difficult for a guy that's a 9.5 to make my team. So you can be honest with, you know, with players and players can be honest with themselves on where they should go to school and not get caught up in situations where they're a nine and a half and they go to, and I'm just pulling a school out of the out of the hat. Uh, I don't know. They go to Utah State and, you know, and everybody there is an 11 or better. Well, they're pretty sure that they're going to be, or they should have a frame of mind if they know universal tennis, that they're probably not going to do a whole bunch of playing. A lot of practicing, trying to get better be on the team, have an opportunity and possibly break in, but in the beginning they know you know about where they about where they stand. So I just think it's uh it's a good thing for everybody everybody to see. Yeah, so I th- uh, this will be a good conversation with Dave Fish on this because uh you know, the getting the practical nuts and bolts are several uh sections that are experimenting partly with these uh, with this uh, system, um, you know, and incorporating them into, you know, their USGA tournaments. So um, if, if there's, you know, a few more minutes, is there anything, Trevor, that you'd like to maybe share or uh, like to mention that you didn't get a chance to? It's burning deep in the tank. Well, I mean, there's there's always stuff burning in the tank. Like I said, I, <laughs> I, I you know, I want to get better. I want to learn every day. Um, you know, I, I think that's uh, – I think we're on the right path. Once again, I, I think it's just everybody's got to realize that it's a process. I do think that U.S. tennis will come around again. Does that mean it's going to be uh, this year, next year, three years from now, five years from now? I don't know, but um, you know, it's the next champion's coming. He, he's out there somewhere. Uh, we're all going to be excited when it happens. And, and in, in my eyes, and in my thoughts are. I, I think uh, you know. I think the guys that were in place at Player Development did a, did a good job to get us to this spot. I think the new guys, Martin Blackman, who's in in the seat now, I think he'll do an outstanding job. Um, he happens to be a friend, but I, I think that uh, we're, we're on the right path. And I don't think it's going to be one champion. I think it's going to be you know a couple, and we just all have to be to be patient. Um, and, and then the, the last. Um, burning desire that I have is just to reach out to a coaching uh, compatriot who's going through a tough time with uh, with his son who was in a golf cart accident and, and we're all thinking about Luke and and hoping that Tim Siegel's son makes a quick and, and speedy recovery yeah thanks for that Trevor yeah, um, yeah uh, I concur um, I just want to leave uh, just maybe a thought out there for those whether it's parents or coaches or players listening uh, there's a, a saying that I have plastered, among other ones, um, on pictures that I've made of eagles and, and whatnot around the uh, team room or office. One of them is, and we have a on our shirt, we have a thing that says always. And what that 
means is if you always give your best, you will sometimes play your best and one time be the best. And I think it rings true. I think even uh, Brandon Coop, who coaches up at uh, Stanford, you know, he was talking to some kids, and I asked him, I said, how many times on tour did you actually think you played your absolute best? And he said, oh, maybe 10% of the time. 80% it was just okay, you know. <laughs> and the idea is if you always give your best, that's the key is are people even giving their best? Sometimes they don't even know what that is. Half the time when I speak with uh, youth groups and young kids is, and even some adults, it's like, well, are you really giving your best? Because what does your best look like? Sometimes they don't uh, – uh, they don't know, and that's what a coach's job is, is to push them that direction, yeah. to get uh, to give their best. So if you always give your best, you'll sometimes play your best and one time uh, be the best. Any yeah. thought on that, Trev? Yeah, I mean, it's very, very clear to me. Uh, I was lucky enough to, to win professionally six times on the ATP Tour. I played almost 400 weeks on the ATP Tour. I don't know, you do the quick math. All I could do was try to do my best, be my best, and do it so that I didn't have to look back. Uh, and that's what I try to pride myself on is, is, look, everything that I've done and been fortunate enough to do to this point is all exactly that. It's all history. Sure, it's written in some places and it's talked about in some places, but I, in my eyes, I define my career as a player, as a coach, as a person. Nobody else does, and, and that's all you can do every day is is do your best. Sometimes, you know, sometimes you'll feel like it's not your best, and other times you'll feel like it is your best. And like Brandon Coop said, uh, you know, 10% of the time, geez, he played he played 10 times better than I did most of the time. Then, uh, you know, I feel like uh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, you're very fortunate enough to to hit that uh, zone spot where you're zoning and playing your best tennis. You know when it's happening, and and um, you know you know when you're not playing your best. But if you always go out with with a great attitude, good concentration, and a great effort. Um, I think that um, that is all you can do. The, the rest of it takes care of itself. Yeah, and I think that's uh, we're in full agreement on the whole uh, idea that you mentioned earlier. You know, our real character and uh, uh, what kind of champion we're going to be is is revealed on the the days that we're not playing so well. You know, great players know how to manage uh, even the down days um, and and try and make uh, lemonade out of a lemon and mm-hmm. uh, and to do it with passion and not to be mopey about it. And I'm speaking mm-hmm. a lot of times to the juniors right now. Um, let me finish with this one last thought. Uh, mm-hmm. Rare greatness comes at a steep price. Mediocrity is abundant and cheap. I was sitting down one day and I was looking at this eagle that I have in my office, and I said, you know, uh, and I was I was talking to my guys, and and I I thought of this. I thought, well, it, it, I think it's it's a truism that rare greatness comes at a steep price. Mediocrity is abundant and cheap. So uh, let's rise to the uh, to greatness. It comes at a steep price, though. So we'll all uh, work on that together. So, Trevor, thanks a ton for being on the show. I appreciate it. It was great uh, having a cup of coffee and chatting with you. Yeah, thanks, Coach, for having me. It was great to catch up, and, and hopefully we've helped somebody uh, become a better person and become a better player and a better parent, and, and that's really what uh, all coaches are out there and all parents are doing is, is trying to make their kids better and the people around them better, and, and that's all we can ask for. That's great. And I'll leave everybody with the song by the Bryan Brothers. Uh, I like it because I always say, let her rip. <laughs> 